Hello, and welcome to this live recording from Mount Pleasant Baptist Church. This message was given by Graham Mabry at our Burragoon campus. So sit back, listen in, and enjoy what God's got to say to you. Thanks for the opportunity to be with you this morning. Uh, Tuesday, Merle and I head off to the land of flags, to the States, uh, to see our, our family, which is very exciting for us. Uh, and um, we do rejoice with our South African brothers and sisters in their glorious triumph. Uh, but the Bible says rejoice with those who rejoice and weep with those who weep. So to our English brothers and sisters, um, to our lovely Kiwis, <laughs> to the Aussies, <laughs> to every other nation in the world, it's only a game. <laughs> no one ever says that when their team wins. Have you ever noticed that? <laughs> hey, well... I get the privilege just before we head out of starting a new series. We've just finished The Heart of Kings and we feel the Lord leading us to do a series on the word of the prophets. And uh, so I'm I'm delighted to be doing that. Uh, Actually, I remember a a story of a college professor who said to his class, give me an example of a non-profit organization. And one of those present yelled out, Atheists Alliance. Uh, There was a There was also a a situation where uh, just recently a German artist, his name is Gregor Hiller, and he had an art exhibition in Berlin. This is true, just happened very recently. And he called the art exhibition, the class on prophecy has been cancelled due to unforeseen circumstances. And I once actually, I heard an MC at a conference in the Eastern States once. He's one of those guys who's a bit like Nick Scott, had a lovely quick wit, just could come out with very funny things. And he's, he was running through the housekeeping and he was saying, well, there's this and there's that and this. And the couple of changes of venue, the prophecy class, well, I won't tell you because you should already know. <laughs> it's kind of something we joke around, but what, what about prophets? What are prophets? Well, let me give you a simple definition. They're the ones I do. Uh, In simple terms, prophets proclaim a message revealed to them by God. They speak as his voice, in his name and by his authority, and they speak to those to whom he sends them. In the Hebrew, the the word for prophet comes from a a root word, nabi, which is like to bubble, like a spring, and I kind of love that. God's word bubbles out of prophets. Isaiah says, uh, I have put my words in your mouth. Prophets are diverse. I mean, I, if I think of prophet, generally someone like John the Baptist leaps into my mind, a wilderness prophet. John with his camel hair coat and his strange macrobiotic diet, you know, locusts and wild honey and thundering out at, the, at those who come. But there's also prophets like Daniel who were in the absolute pillars of power they operated in the palace prophets like Nathan who operated in the palace but people like David and Nathan when required by God would confront the power structure of the day if they had to confront the king then they did prophets are dramatic there's nothing beige about prophets they did some, some amazing things. Jeremiah gets a beautiful new pot, walks in front of all the leaders of Jerusalem and smashes it on the ground in front of them. Uh, Hosea is asked by the Lord to marry and then buy back a prostitute. Isaiah was commanded by God to remove his clothes and sandals. There's debate about how much of his clothes he removed, but the scripture says he preached stripped and barefoot for three years. He certainly would have had an impact. They're dramatic. 
Prophets may be diverse, but they all share at least two things. Two things in common. One, they have an intimate relationship with Yahweh, with God. Obviously, they can't give. How can you give the the words of someone you're not close to? They have an intimate relationship to God. They have a very dodgy relationship to organised religion. Generally, organised religion kills them or persecutes them. In the case of Amos that we'll look at today, he's told to buzz out, get out of here, get back to Judah. Who do you think you are? Secondly, talking to Simon about this series when it was uh, being discussed and planned and, and he said, isn't it interesting, the prophets are always calling us to turn from something. So that's why we've, today it's turned from complacency. And it's logical they should be calling us to turn from something because that's exactly what the word repent means. The prophets are saying, guys, it's going wrong, come back, come back. They are God's voice calling us back. So they're always asking us to turn, always asking us to repent. And that's why uh, when the, in Kings, when the story of the journey of Israel and Judah is being told, it says to Kings 17, the Lord warned Israel and Judah through all his prophets and seers, turn from your evil ways, observe my commands. As I prepared, I, I had a sense that the Lord was saying that... Um, the important thing here is we do want to get a handle, we get a, want to get an understanding of these old prophets. But what's much more important is what the Lord is wanting to say through them to us now. What is the Lord's word to us? What is the Lord's word to me right now? What is the Lord's word to us across the centuries? And as I prepared and prayed this week, some, that little phrase that's in Revelation 2 and 3 kept coming back to me. Whoever has ears... Hear what the Spirit says. So over this series, I pray you will hear what the Spirit says. Rodney and Julie talked about being called, not wanting particularly to be, but being called to a place way outside their comfort zone. And God is calling you. He doesn't fail to call anybody. Doesn't call people like me and not you. He's calling you. Can you hear his voice? If... You have ears. And I pray the Lord will give you really sharp ears to hear what he's saying. What is he saying to me? What is he saying to us? I just have a sense maybe it's a bit of a spring clean. You know, God do a bit of spring cleaning. Sort of, kind of, yeah. Well, I'll leave that with you to pray about and discern. But let's go to Amos. Now, thanks to the Bible Project, a few weeks back, uh, Dan said to us, you've got to love the Bible Project, and I agree, it's fantastic stuff they prepare. And they've got, uh, this will give you a quick orientation to Amos, thanks to the Bible Project. The book of the prophet Amos. Amos was a shepherd and a fig tree farmer who lived right near the border between northern Israel and southern Judah. Now, the north had seized its independence about 150 years earlier. Remember 1 Kings chapter 12? And it was currently being ruled by Jeroboam II, a successful military leader. He won lots of battles and new territory for Israel, and he generated lots of wealth. But in the eyes of the prophets, he was one of the worst kings ever. His wealth had led to apathy, and he allowed idol worship for the gods of 
of Canaan, which in turn led to injustice and the neglect of the poor. And it got to the point where Amos couldn't take it anymore. He sensed God calling him to go trek up north to Bethel, an important city that had a large temple, and start announcing God's word to the people. And this book is a collection of his sermons and poems and visions uttered over the years. They were compiled later to give God's people a sense of his divine message to the northern kingdom. And it's a message we still need to hear today. The book has a fairly clear design. Chapters 1 and 2 are a series of messages to the nations and Israel. Then chapters 3 to 6 are a collection of poems that express Amos' message to the people of Israel and its leaders. Chapters 7 through 9 contain a series of visions that Amos experienced that depict God's coming judgment on Israel. Okay, so Amos is from Tekoa. Tekoa, that's Tekoa today, by the way. Uh, and of course, the ancient city is just a ruin. Uh, but it's a significant area. It's close to Bethlehem and Jerusalem, 10 kilometers south of Bethlehem, about 18 kilometers from Jerusalem. And from that significant geographical area, the Lord calls a shepherd and a fig tree farmer. The Lord took me from, from tending the flock and said to me, Go. And whatever he's talking to you about, he is talking, he is calling. It may not be go, it may be about something else. But for Amos, the farmer, he suddenly hears the Lord say to him, Amos, go. Go to my people Israel. You live in Judah, go to Israel. And like another shepherd before him, like David, Amos knew the Lord. He knew the Lord's voice. And God found in Amos's shepherd's heart a heart like his own. I'm often challenged by the Lord quietly saying to me, Graham, it's one thing to love to speak, but it's another thing to love my people to whom you're speaking. So let's see what Amos knew. I'm saying Amos knew the Lord. Let me show you. Here is just a snippet from the book of Amos. That he, This is kind of little bits from here and there. He understood God's omnipresence. He says, "Though I, though, if you're trying to get away from God, you can dig down to the depths below. From there, his hand will take you. You can climb up to the heavens above. From there, he'll bring you down. He understood God's omnipotence. A beautiful wordsmith, Amos, one of the best in the prophets. He says, well, he who made the Pleiades and Orion, he who turns midnight into dawn and darkens day into night, he's not governed by the laws of nature. He set, he set them in motion. He controls them. And he controls nations. He shapes the destiny of nations. So it was God. Didn't I bring Israel out of captivity? I brought the Philistines. I brought the Arameans. And Above all, Amos understands the Lord's heart for his people. Turn, seek me, seek me that you may live. Amos had God's heart. Amos was a shepherd. He understood the shepherding heart of the Father. He understood God's relentless love. See, that's why Jeremiah, (laughs) Jeremiah, that's why Jeremiah and Hosea and Isaiah did the things they did. Why did Jeremiah smash the pot? God is wanting to say to these people, you think your city is as firm and strong as this pot? That's what's coming. It's like God's going, wake up, like the three stooges almost. Oi! That's what the prophets are doing. See, Hosea is saying, though my people are as unfaithful as this wife has been to me, I will go and stand among the customers and buy her bag. Looking forward to the cross. 
And with Isaiah, I've actually stood in the Egyptian antiquities in Milan and these statues from Egypt, ancient Egypt, they're massive. And here's this little prophet going around stripped and barefoot saying, don't trust Egypt. They're going to be marched away as stripped and naked and humiliated as I am right now. Assyria is coming to belt the tar out of them. Look to God. See, what these, these prophets are doing is showing how relentless and how desperate God is to have his people. And he's no different with you. He keeps calling. I remember a lovely poem written by Sylvia Sanders about a young woman who had a drug habit and had to sell herself to maintain her habit. And Sylvia worked way, way back when um, with those sort of people in, uh, in one area of London. And she was sitting having a cup of tea with this girl in a break before she went back to her beat. And the, the girl said to her, hey, listen, Sylvia, it's too late for me, but I'd love it if you could help some of the young ones. Now, this girl was 22. And Sylvia wrote a poem, and the poem ends with lines to the effect of, as that night, as she walked her lonely beat in that wintry street, was she ever aware of the feet that followed on with relentless tread, feet of a shepherd, feet that bled. The prophets are telling us, no matter where you go, the Father's love follows you, calls you. Can you hear his voice? Because he is calling you. Now let me be clear on something before we start the series and before I ask uh, Adrian to bring us our reading. When you come to the prophets, the language, the descriptions are so vivid. The description of what's wrong and what's coming is so in your face that you can almost think, whoa, I get it. Let, wait, let me get back to the Gospel of John. You know, this, is, this is a bit heavy. I don't think I'd want to meet him at a barbecue. Uh, but, so let me try and put it into a context. You see, what it's actually showing is how concerned God is. As a parent, if you could see your child going to danger, what would you do? Uh, just look at No, you'd be like, you goose, right? And that's what the prophets are doing. They're showing the depth of God's mercy, the height of his love, the lengths to which a God of love will go to bring us back. So in this series, God's intense, deep concern expressed in those vivid descriptions, hear that as as a sign of his mercy, of how concerned he is to bring his people back. Turn while there's still time. Jesus said, uh, when he was in his earthly ministry, Jesus said, God in his wisdom said, I'll send them prophets. Some of them they'll kill. Others they'll persecute. But God sent them anyway, knowing that. And the prophets went anyway, knowing that. God always warns. And I've got on the screen there what Amos says. Surely the sovereign Lord does nothing without revealing his plan to his servant, the prophets. His servants, the prophets. God always warns. God's ever calling us. So with that heart of a merciful God calling his people back from destruction, let's have a listen to our reading. Thanks, Adrian. The reading is taken from Amos five twenty-one to 6, 7. I hate, I despise your religious festivals. Your assemblies are a stench to me. Even though you bring me burnt offerings and grain offerings, I will not accept them. Though you bring choice fellowship offerings, I will have no regard for them. 
Away with the noise of your songs. I will not listen to the music of your harps. But let justice roll on like a river, righteousness like a never-failing stream. Did you bring me sacrifices and offerings for forty years in the wilderness, people of Israel? You have lifted up the shrine of your king, the pedestal of your idols, the star of your God, which you made for yourselves. Therefore I will send you into exile beyond Damascus, says the Lord, whose name is God Almighty. Woe to you who are complacent in Zion, and to you who feel secure on Mount Samaria, you notable men of the foremost nation, to whom the people of Israel come. Go to Kelna and look at it. Go from there to Great Hamath, and then go down to Gath in Philistia. Are they better off than your two kingdoms? Is their land larger than yours? You put off the day of disaster and bring near a reign of terror. You lie on beds adorned with ivory and lounge on your couches. You dine on choice lambs and fattened calves. You strum away on your harps like David and improvise on musical instruments. You drink wine by the bowlful and use the finest lotions, but you do not grieve over the ruin of Joseph. Therefore you will be among the first to go into exile. Your feasting and lounging will end. Thanks, Adrian. Very well read, thank you. Still impacts though. Despite all I said, it still hits you, doesn't it? You think, I, I despise your religious festivals. Away with the sound of your songs. Let me try and give you a context for this. Imagine a selfless, faithful, loving wife. And she blesses, she loves deeply and blesses a husband who is utterly self-absorbed. His career, his hobbies, his toys. He's never present emotionally, even if he happens to be present physically. One day she gets a text, happy birthday. Oh, he remembered. Your present and card are on the table. But she happens to know it's his PA who remembered. So he asked her to buy the present and choose a card. And, and so it's all from the PA. How is that wife going to respond? Take your card. I will let you finish the sentence. Many wives have finished that sentence in many different ways just in the last few moments. That's what God is saying. I love you and this nonsense you're carrying on, why was it nonsense? Why was it so offensive to God? Well, they loved going to their temples. Nothing wrong with that, by the way. They loved playing worship music like David. They loved making offerings. They boasted about how big their offerings were. But they're indulging in luxurious living, immorality, idolatry, and they're making this money on the backs of their poor brothers and sisters. Amos puts it this way, they trample on the heads of the poor and they deny justice to the oppressed in chapter 2. In other words, they're letting their sisters and brothers be sold into slavery for debt and then denying them any legal representation when they are. And Amos is saying, weren't you slaves in Egypt? Weren't you oppressed? Look what you're doing to your own sisters and brothers. God is angry, never sinful. 
That's why Ephesians says, be angry, but don't let your anger lead you into sin. Why is God angry? Because he loves. I remember in Fred Stone's day here at Mount Pleasant, many years ago, Fred saying, love isn't dead when anger is present, but when apathy is present, it is. God's people were apathetic. The way you saw Jeroboam draw in that little clip, yeah, it's all good. It's all great. We're, we're God's people. We're blessed. It's all wonderful. Not even seeing what's happening. The most famous sentence in the book, the one that Martin Luther King quoted in his I Have a Dream speech, was in our reading that we just heard from Adrian. Away with the noise of your songs, but let justice roll on like a river. Righteousness like a never-failing stream. Now, righteousness is sedekor in the Hebrew, and it means right relationship with God and with people, regardless of anything, their income, their gender, their race, all are equal before God. And right, in right relationship, when you have sedekor, everyone's in right relationship with each other and, of course, with the Father. And then, um, uh, that's righteousness, justice is mishpat, and mishpat is action to make sure we have sedekor. So the actions that you need to take to ensure everyone is, is receiving righteous living. That's why I've put those two verses up there for you in, in, in Amos 5. Just before our reading started, uh, Amos, through Amos the Lord says, Seek me that you may live. Turn back to me. And then in verse 14, Seek good, not evil, that you may live. In other words... Seek me, but also love one another. Love the Lord your God, love your neighbour. Romans 12 tells us that true and proper worship is to offer our bodies a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. I love Peterson's way of putting it in the message. God helping you take your ordinary, everyday, sleeping, eating, going to work, walking around life, and place that before God as an offering. You notice the river on the screen there? The river is a powerful image right through the Bible. So are trees. Well, they lived in an arid climate. Rivers are a big deal. Had great impact. And God is saying, there is a river that flows from me. My servant Ezekiel is going to tell you about it a bit later on. But there's a river that flows from my presence. And that river is a river of justice and righteousness and love and mercy and peace and all sorts of other things. It's a river you can't stand in. It's a river you can't control. Remember, Ezekiel couldn't get his feet on the bottom. God directs his river, not you. But he says, you, Israel, you've just got a wadi like they had in that area. There's a valley where there could be a river, but there's no water. Your worship has structure, but it has no life-giving power. No life-transforming power. See, Amos is saying, guys, beware. Blessing which you've received from God. Jeroboam, by the way, uh, received the blessing from God because of the promise of God. Jeroboam's military victories and prosperity were fulfillment of the prophecies by Elijah and Jonah. Um, actually, I think that's the next... Yeah, thank you, uh, Thank you. That's me, not, not John. I jumped around a bit there, folks. I'm keeping him on his toes this morning. The, 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 the blessing that they were enjoying was actually a fulfillment. I didn't realize that Jonah, he didn't just talk about the Ninevites, 
Talk about dramatic, by the way. Can you imagine Jonah when he's come out of the belly of the whale? He's bleached because he's been in the belly three days. He's got a bit of kelp stuck on his forehead and he comes up the beach and says, repent. I think I would. I reckon I would repent. However, back to this, Jeroboam, uh, Jonah prophesied about Israel as well. And I've put it on the screen there for you. Jeroboam was the one who restored the boundaries of Israel in accordance with the word of the Lord, the God of Israel, spoken through his servant Jonah. So Israel's blessed because of God. They're actually enjoying the blessing of God. But here's the danger. Blessing can create complacency. Moses warned about it, and that's on the screen for you too. Moses said, when you eat and are satisfied and you've built found houses and you settle down and your herds and flocks grow large and your silver and gold increase and all you have is multiplied, your heart will become proud and you will forget the Lord your God who brought you out of Egypt. See, as we're blessed by God and we're enjoying his blessings and we're thankful, and we're, but gradually somehow our hearts move from the giver to the gift from the blesser to the blessing. And then little by little, if you're anything like me, your hand begins to close around the blessing. And the minute my hand is closed, I've made an idol. A good thing has become the main thing. The only way to hold the blessing of God is on an open hand because it's his. And once we close our hands, we don't have blessing The blessings have us. And we've moved from the one who gave us that blessing. Idols made by human hands. Remember when Adrian read out, he said, what about the star of your God, the God you made? Psalm 115 says that when we make idols, idols made by human hands, they have mouths, but they can't speak. They have eyes, but they can't see. Ears, but they can't hear. They have hands, but they can't feel. Feet, but they can't walk. This thing cannot give you what you are clinging onto it to give. It simply can't. And then he comes to a powerful conclusion in the psalm. Psalm 115, he says in verse 8, those who make them will be like them. And so will all who trust in them. Israel lounging on couches, having the best of food and wine and using the finest lotions, playing worship music. But then God says, you're not grieving over the ruin of Joseph. Can you not? Listen, you're ruining. This complacency is killing you. Kelly found me a fantastic image that I think puts it beautifully. There it is. You don't see it. Because someone is blinding you. We have an enemy. And he wants us complacent. He loves complacency. It's his favorite thing along with pride. And of course pride is what generates complacency. Israel's called to be a blessing to all nations. But they're not even bothered. They don't even realise they're, 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 they're oppressing their own sisters and brothers. Do you remember the church in Laodicea? In Revelation 3, you say, I'm rich. I've acquired wealth. I don't need anything. But don't you realise you're wretched, pitiful, poor, blind, naked? How does this happen? How can a delivered people become proud and forget the Lord? 
Solomon. Look at the start Solomon had. And he finishes building a high place for the most evil of pagan deities right near Jerusalem. The scripture tells us in uh, 1 Kings 11, he turned his heart after other gods. His heart was not wholly devoted to the Lord. How does this happen? Little by little, step by step, centimetre by centimetre. When I was about 12 or 13, I remember hearing a, a message I know that's when the earth was cooling, I understand. Uh, a message from a lovely, a saintly man, uh, Dan Covey, his name was. And Dan talked about, um, Merle remembers him vividly too, lovely, godly man. And he, this morning, I'm 12 years old sitting there, and I, always, I, I had learned that the church in Ephesus had lost its first love. Well, that's shocking. You don't want to lose your first love. And I still remember him quietly saying, no, the church didn't lose it. They left it. The message says, you have walked away from the love you had. At step by step, walked away from the love you had at first. What's the Spirit saying to you today? See, the prodigal, that's why the picture is there. The prodigal didn't hit the pig pen on day two. <laughs> he took a while, step by step, by step, by step by step but when he finally realized he was in the pig pen a wonderful thing happened I love the phrase Jesus uses he says when he came to his senses hmm? somebody once described the church as Cinderella with amnesia we've forgotten who we are and who's called us and, and we think it's fine and it's not but it's a loving Father, desperate for us, who's calling us home because he wants to give us all that he is. What happens when the prodigal comes home with his speech? Oh, I'm not worthy to be your son. I'll just make me a servant. The father doesn't listen to a word of it. He gets about three words out and the father's hugging him and then the father says, bring the best robe. He's fresh from the pig pen. You can't clean yourself up. Just come as you are. Just turn back to the father. Who's waiting? What the father gives the prodigal is the best. What is the best that God could give us? You sang it. Jesus. What a powerful name. What a beautiful name. See, if I start to see that I'm in the pig pen, I really can hate evil because I see it for what it is. I don't accommodate it anymore. And then I can cling to what the Father wants to give me. Clothe yourselves with the Lord Jesus. And just make, don't make any provision for your flesh. With the Lord Jesus. You know, the church, the baby church, stood against the might of Rome and the wisdom and sophisticated uh, intellectual power of Greece and they conquered both and all they had was Jesus. And we keep thinking we need something else. A.B. Simpson wrote a fantastic sermon. My mum, one of mum's favourite poems was A.B. Simpson's poem himself. She was quoting it all the time. But I discovered this week the sermon that he preached, that poem is the end of. And, and here's a little bit of what A.B. Simpson said. I used to search for joy and then I think I found it, but then I'd lose it because I didn't have Jesus as my joy. One day Jesus said to me so tenderly, my child... 
Just take me. Let me be in you the constant supply. Check in with me, is my words. Going back to his words, I found, when I found this, the Christ that had all I should ever need. The Christ larger than any moment's need. And when I saw him this way, it was such rest. See, complacency is not rest. Once it was the blessing, his poem starts. Once it was the blessing, now it is the Lord. How would your life be if everything radiated from your relationship to Jesus. We always get into social media, you know, do you, do you seek Facebook before you seek the face of God? Or Jonathan told us a couple of weeks back, we go to Google before we go to God, and I do. But there's lots of other things. Where is your father saying, he said it to Merle in Eunosia, um, and she's, her body language tells me, shut up, Graham. Is that, is that, oh, good, okay, no, I misread, sorry. <laughs> I, don't, I don't want her to be... <laughs> Oh, Lord, tell him to shut up. Please tell him to shut up. But she was at New Norcia and and in a remote, no time to tell the story now, and if you want to ask her, it's a great story. But after all her years of walking with the Lord, suddenly the father just became close, her loving, good, good father. He's calling you. What if that then governed, that's where I start, his time goes into my diary first Lord show me how I really am show me where you're calling me give me grace to go well Jesus says well come on take my yoke let's go together walk with me in the unforced rhythms of grace come and walk with me don't walk with your brokenness don't walk with trying to prove yourself to someone long dead don't walk focused on anything but me I conquered the world, by the way. (laughs) All power is given to me. So come and walk with me. This is what happens when we do. Thanks, John. Walk. We walk in the way of love. Just as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us, a fragrant offering. Remember God said at the start of our reading, I I don't take any pleasure. Your your worship stinks. It actually, the literal Hebrew is, I can't inhale it with pleasure. (laughs) But when we walk with Jesus, we bring great joy to the heart of our dad because we're free. Do you know all God wants? You. He's got the rest. He owns the world. He's going to create the new one. He's the beginning and the end. Jesus was and is. All things come from him. All things live by him. All things end in him. It's only you. If the worship team come back, let's pray, let's pray together. And I, I have no idea where you are this morning. I mean, maybe, maybe you are in the prodigal situation. You really have got all the way to the pig pen, in a sense. But this morning, as we've worshipped, you, you're kind of coming to your senses. You're thinking, hang on a minute. My father has... Jesus is the answer. He said, I've carved you on the palm of my hands. Your face is ever before me. 
All those years ago, that young girl walking the streets of a cold, weak, wet, bleak London, the feet of the shepherd were following on behind her, the feet that bled for her, and they're following you. I want us to sing our last song as a prayer. And those who have ears, hear what the Spirit is saying, the love that's calling you. We hope you enjoyed this message from Mount Pleasant Baptist Church. If you'd like to talk to someone about what you've heard today, then you can contact the team at Mount Pleasant Baptist Church by calling the office during office hours on 9329-1777. Thanks for joining us. We look forward to your company again soon. God bless.